Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. Pastor Michael, thank you so much for that lovely honor to hear all those things. But a lot of you don't know, I was in his wedding and he was in my wedding. And that ties you together when you're a groomsman of a wedding or a best man in a wedding, it ties you together And we went to Bible school together. We were just talking yesterday about, we had the honor to speak at Times Square Church while we were students at our Bible school. And we were very nervous because David Wilkerson was going to be in attendance. And David Wilkerson was the type that if you went off doctrinally or you went off in any way, he had no problem walking up and just tapping you on your shoulder and saying, that's enough, I'll take it from here. (laughs) So Michael and I were... We were nervous. I was nervous. He was nervous. We were praying. We were, we were on our knees. We were crying out to God. And we'll never forget what God did at that service. We'll never forget the words that David Wilkerson spoke over you, Michael. I'll never forget the words he spoke over you. And I'll never forget what the Lord did in your life at that service and the salvations that were wrought in people's lives at that service. And I just want you to know I love you so much. And your family mean a lot to me. And... I thank you for your friendship to me. And you as a church, you can grow familiar with the man of God that God's given to your church, but take it from someone that travels over various states across this nation, working with pastors in various cities in this nation, you're not going to find a man that seeks the face of God like this one. And that to me is a treasure. You can get your sermons off YouTube, and you can get your sermons off the latest book that came out of the bookshop, but what you're going to get from this pulpit is a man that got his sermons out of study, prayer, fasting, and waiting on the Lord, and that's a rarity. There's a famine coming on the United States of America, not, not a famine of silver and gold, but a famine that is spiritual, and we're seeing a spiritual famine. When you see men like Reinhard Bonke and David Wilkerson, Billy Graham, so many have passed on, left, and went to be with the Lord in heaven. And now we have a young generation of teenagers and college students that are rising up in our nation and across this world that are left without a voice. But God is raising up voices. Elijah voices. Elijah's voice is a troublemaking voice because it's a voice of truth. And I so honor you for your call and your anointing. My board are in here today, and they'll be out here after service, and I'm really glad for them. And you as Springs Church have no idea what you have done in my life. I worked here for a season, and I took many of you down to south side of Colorado Springs and San Luis Valley and Denver and Fort Collins. And we stood on sidewalks and street corners. We went into trailer parks. I'll never forget Josh Gallardo and I going down into 
the meadows right by Cedar Springs, we were visiting a man that had repented of his sins at one of our outreaches and given his heart to Jesus Christ. And we come over to the house that he was at and he came with a mop and a bucket and there was blood dripping from the mop head. And I said, what, what's going on? And he said that his wife had cut her wrists in front of their three children and was shouting demonic voices. And he's just looking at us and Josh and I are just looking at him. And he said, all I could do was say the name of Jesus. All I could do was find hope in Jesus because I didn't know what was going to happen with her. Of course, she was taken to the emergency room and she was put into Cedar Springs for a season. And he came out and became an amazing father to his children. And she struggles, unfortunately, to this day. And we pray in the name of Jesus over her soul. Yes. Yes, God. We pray over Colorado. Stand with me, please. We're going to have a time of prayer. Father, we pray now in the name of Jesus for Colorado. Lord, we pray for the San Luis Valley. We pray for the south side of Colorado Springs. We pray, oh God, for our city and for Denver and Castle Rock and Fort Collins. And God, we speak declaring over this state that out of this state will come men of truth, men of conviction, men of anointing, oh God. That you will rise up out of the state of Colorado, men with a sound mind and self-control. And the world will look on and they will wonder how Colorado is producing men like this and women like this. And it won't be because of Bible schools. It won't be because, it won't be because of great educational facilities. It will be because there was a move of the Holy Spirit. And oh God, we call on you today for the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow on Colorado. And we take authority against the devil and every demonic stronghold of sin in this state. And in the name of Jesus, you tear it down to the foundation. We won't allow Jezebel, we won't allow Ahab to run this state any longer. And God, if you did what you did to Ananias and Sapphira to bring revival, if you did what you did to King Herod, then we ask you do whatever it takes. We ask you to do whatever it takes, God. And send a mighty revival. Not a revival of emotion. Not a revival of chill bumps, but a revival of your word that breaks the bondages of sin and looses the grip of the devil. And we take authority in the name of Jesus against the demonic stronghold. We drive it out and it will not have its place in this church and it will not have its place in this city. We love this state. We love Colorado. And we pray the rest of the nation will know what the Lord is doing here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can take your seats. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, 
All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. He said, go into all the nations making disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them all that I've commanded unto you. And then he said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. The scripture tells us that even the devil and the demons believe that there is a God. The scripture tells us that belief in itself without action and behavior and works is really dead faith. We're in a generation where belief is taught in such a way where it's more of a mental ascent. It's more of an accumulation of knowledge. But the scripture tells us the knowledge in itself puffs us up. You see, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. He never said, go into all the world and make believers. There's a difference between someone that is a believer and someone that is a disciple. Belief in Jesus produces disciple, produces works, produces right behavior. But when a belief does not lead to disciple, then the belief is not in the biblical Jesus. Because the biblical Jesus will produce discipleship. And to be a disciple means to have certain traits in our lifestyle. It means that we have certain characteristics. It means that we have certain attitudes. It means that we live in a different way than everyone else. I want you to turn in your Bible to the book of Jude, please. The book of Jude. What's very interesting about the table of contents of your Bible is that 41 books out of the 66 books are actually named. They're actually named after individual people. Two of them were women, Ruth and Esther. The rest of them were men. Did you know that your soul and my soul are of so much value? That not only does the devil want it, but God does too. How much do we know does God want our soul? How valuable is our soul? What did God do to purchase our soul? And we see that Jesus shed his blood to purchase our soul. And there's a fight for the souls of men. There's a war for the souls of men. The devil wants to take as many souls to hell as he can with them. It's his mission. The devil and demons were never offered repentance. Never offered repentance. They sinned and they were out. What he hates so much about us is that we've been offered repentance. While we were yet sinners, God took an animal and slayed it and skinned it and clothed Adam and Eve. While we were yet sinners, God called Noah to build an ark. While we were yet sinners, God raised up prophets. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Our soul is valuable to God. You're valuable to God. You matter to him. To the point that he would redeem us with his blood. 
And what a redemption it was when he died to purchase you and to purchase me. The guy that we're going to read here in a few minutes is actually the half-brother of Jesus. He wasn't one of the apostles. In Acts, it teaches us that some of the brothers of Jesus actually came to faith and became leaders in the church. When Jesus went back to his hometown, his hometown had gotten so familiar with him, they called him the carpenter's son. He, he was known as the carpenter's son. And how many of you know familiarity will breed contempt? When you get familiar, you breed contempt. They saw Jesus while he was a carpenter. They knew Jesus when he missed a nail and skinned his hand and said, ouch. They knew him. And I feel like a lukewarm spirit can easily come over us in this hour. And a lukewarm spirit manifests in familiarity. We get familiar with our Bible. We get familiar with our time of prayer. We get familiar with the church. And we even forsake the assembly. And so many of you are listening in and you're forsaking the assembly. You should be here. You should be committed to your church and support your leadership and the elders of this church. But we grow familiar. We take it for granted, the presence of God. We take it for granted, the amazing word that comes. We take it for granted, the miracles that we see. Jesus doesn't like the taste of lukewarmness. He doesn't like the taste of lukewarmness. In fact, he told us what he does with lukewarmness. If there's anything that you and I should hate and despise more than anything else is lukewarmness. We can rant and rave about the sins of our country and we can rant and rave about the sins of our politicians and the sins of... But the sins aren't what really Jesus spits out of his mouth. What he spits out of his mouth is lukewarmness. David said in Psalms 119, It is good that I have been afflicted, that I might learn. God is bringing upon many people, even in this house and across this nation, afflictions, hardships and difficulties. And in the middle of them, we can't understand why they're there, but God's purpose behind them is to protect us from lukewarmness. God's purpose in them is to keep the fire burning in our hearts. The enemy thought if he threw us into the lion's den, we'd get devoured. But God had already fed them. The devil thought, I'll, I'll, throw, him, I'll, I'll throw him into the furnace and make it as hot as I can. And only the Son of God turned up to show himself off. The devil thought, I'll throw him into prison. Lock him up in chains. And God put a song in Paul and Silas. And the chains broke. And the earth shook. And the prison doors opened. And they walked out. Preaching the gospel of Jesus. Even in the face of hardship. And even in the face of persecution. And even in the face of going through some of the hardest times of your life. 
You find strength from God that nothing in this world could give you. You find peace that prescription pills can't give to you. You find joy that comedy can't give you. You find hope that money and financial success can't give you. Our light shines brightest when it gets darkest for us. It's in that time our faith is proven. It's in that time the world will look on and say, they're not trusting in their flesh. They're not trusting in the things they've got. How is it that they've got peace at that hospital bed? Looking at their 23-year-old son passing. How else are they able to evangelize and share the gospel? I just did a funeral for a 23-year-old and I walked in as he was laid out on a life support machine. And the presence of God was so rich in the place, I was baptized in the Holy Ghost and began to speak in tongues. I said, what is happening in this room? The father of this, of this young man was down on, in, on his knees. And as soon as I started speaking out in tongues, he started speaking out in tongues. And then there was an interpretation of the tongue, calling someone at the bedside to repentance. And there was around 20 of us at the bedside. Our eyes were closed. And I said, is there anyone here that's not right with God? Five of the family members get saved. The young man's ex-girlfriend, who is a Buddhist, renounces Buddhism and declares Jesus as Lord of her life. There's no amount of church services that something like that could happen. You see, it's in the hardest of times. It's in the most difficult of times that the light of Jesus shines brightest through our lives. And here the writer of Jude is writing to a church that's going through hard times. I love how Jude titles himself. Let's read verse 1 together. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. If you were the half-brother of Jesus, I think you'd open up with a different title than that. There is such a spirit of entitlement in our generation. Titles have become idols for the church. Everyone's looking for an apostolic calling or finding their identity in a prophet or evangelist. Everyone's looking for a title and it's idolatry because we've got a greater title on our lives. A better title than doctor, president, CEO, apostle. The title on all of us that God places on us in Christ is sons and daughters of his. Amen. What better title is there? What greater title can we be given to be a son of the Father in heaven? But Jude takes it a step further, and he calls himself a servant. Some would criticize Jude and say, Jude, rise up in your identity. Don't call yourself a servant. You're more than that. Read this book about how you can be purpose-driven and reach the end goal of your life and live your best life now and be an apostle like Peter and Paul and make a name for yourself. You're the half-brother of Jesus. You knew Jesus more than the apostle Paul did. But you didn't entertain the entitlement spirit, the familiar spirit. He wasn't using Jesus' name as a, a way to name drop, to make himself have credibility to write the content that he's about to write. 
Jude had a revelation of who his half-brother really was. Jesus, the Son of God. And he knew his highest calling wasn't just to be a son of the Father and be a spoiled brat and come in before the Father and say, give me all that I want at the throne of grace. I don't want mercy. I don't want grace. I want a Ferrari. I, I want a mansion. I want my flesh gratified. No, he understood that what had been invited, what he has been invited to is of such great honor and such great magnificent revelation that a fleshly sinner like me, a wretch in my own right, has been welcomed and adopted into the family of God. And my only outflow of that is to serve him, is to be his servant, is to serve others like he served me. And he opens up this epistle and he acknowledges that. And then he says to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designed for this condemnation. Ungodly people who prevent or pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So Jude is writing to a church and he's seeing the church in a hard place because deceivers had come in. Blasphemers have come in. There's words that we don't use today that were very common a couple of hundred years ago, such as heretics. We don't go around the place saying he's a heretic. But that was common language back then. The scripture was given to us not for our motivation, not for our inspiration, but scripture was given for doctrine, for rebuke, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. And the scripture was given so that we know what's the difference between real and counterfeit. Can you imagine if you went to a doctor right up here in this Penrose, and you went into the doctor and, the, and you said to the doctor, doctor, I've got a lot of problems and I need you to do blood tests, x-rays, just do it all on me. I've got a lot of issues. And the doctor looks at you and he says, well, you look great. You look fine. Come back and see me in two years' time. I'm not going to run anything on you because you're great. You're just doing so good. And you're sitting there going, well, that's what I wanted to hear. My wife's going to be happy. All my friends and family are going to be happy. Thank you, doctor. You did a great job telling me what I want to hear. I love doctors to tell me what I want to hear. And then he just walks out of the medical office and two years go by and all of a sudden he's getting lumps. All of a sudden he's, he's not able to walk and his skin is turning color and there's problems coming out in his eyes and you can see it. And he goes back to the same doctor and the doctor's like, what happened to you? And he said, I need, I need you to run tests on me. And the doctor finally goes, okay, we'll run some tests. And he comes back that this guy had all sorts of issues going on that could have been dealt with two years prior. 
Now, what would happen to a doctor if he practiced in medicine like that? What would happen? Well, I would tell you what would happen. He'd lose his, his, his license to practice. He, he would get sued. And then he'd spend some time in prison. That's what would happen in the medical field. Well, Jesus said it like this. If one of you preachers of mine lead one of these little ones astray, he gave them a recommendation. And his recommendation was very serious. Very serious. If you want a doctor and you're willing to pay thousands so that he will tell you what you need to hear, why are you listening to preachers that tell you what you want to hear? Why won't you pay a preacher to tell you what you need to hear? We're coming into an hour now where church people are tired of being told what they want to hear. A lot of people are wandering church to church, church to church, looking for somebody to tell them what they want to hear. But God is raising up churches with preachers in it that will tell the congregation, this is what you need to hear. This is what you need to hear. You may not want it, but if you accept it, it will save your life. It will save your marriage. It will save your children. It will save your soul. We're coming into an hour where if the church doesn't start seeking what they need to hear, we will get turned over to our lust and turned over to our flesh. And we might come into a season of a greater famine than what we've ever seen before. From the year 500 to the year 1500, for 1,000 years, our planet was left without a pulpit. Left without a testimony. And all of a sudden, renaissance breaks out. All of a sudden, reformation breaks out. And now we're still living in the flow of that. And sure, I believe the rapture could happen any moment. But we need to plan. We need to strategize like Jesus is not coming in our lifetime. Because your children mean too much for you to just be looking up all day long. Your grandchildren should mean too much to you than you're just looking up all day long. We are in an hour where souls are lost, confused, and we're just looking for the color of the moon. We're just looking to see if the stars are aligning. We're just looking at who's going to be coming on the scene. And all those things are very important. Jesus told us to watch in the hour that we're in. But he never meant it to be our sole focus. It never was to be all that we live for every day. If we value his return more than the sinners that we do life with every day, something's wrong in our relationship with Jesus. Something's wrong in our relationship with Jesus. If the barista who's lost and going to hell is not got your heart to share the gospel to them. We've got to wake up in this hour to the realization of who's around us every day in our everyday life. And Jude said that some have crept in to the church to bring a grace and preach a grace, a grace that was just mental ascent, a grace that was just all about the mind, 
a grace that was all about the accumulation of knowledge. Back in their day, they called that Gnosticism. A grace that had no power to overcome sin. A grace that had no power to tell your flesh, you're not getting your cravings. You're not getting what you want. You're getting what you need. You're not just eating dessert all day. You're telling your flesh you're going to eat what nourishes your body. The grace of God is not a license. It's not a grease to continue in sin. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, this is, these guys have snuck in and they're preaching a grace. Grace. And they're shouting grace. And everybody wants to hear it. Not realizing that biblical grace tells you what you need to hear. Biblical grace protects you, delivers you, pulls you up out of sin. Biblical grace gives you power to do in your flesh what you could never do on your own. And I believe that some have crept in unnoticed all over our generation. In the West. Everybody wants to sing karaoke on Sunday. I prefer singing that karaoke song. It's not karaoke that we sing on Sunday. Everyone wants to be motivated. But our flesh doesn't need motivation. Our flesh needs to die. Our, our flesh needs to be told, you're not getting what you want. No matter how much you fight, the Spirit's going to beat you into submission. <laughs> Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We sing that, we say that, we preach that. But we leave out the next part of the sentence. If you want to live a life free from condemnation, it's actually Conditional. Not unconditional. It's conditional. Because it says there, for those that walk not after the flesh, but for those that walk after the spirit. <laughs> if you try to worship in your flesh and read the Bible in your flesh, the Bible will only produce death in you. The latter will kill without the spirit of God. You try to evangelize in your flesh, You'll be just like the moron. Uh, yeah. You, you try to do things in your flesh. All you'll be thinking about is lunch right now. See, the Spirit of God and grace work together to empower us. John the Baptist was the first one to give a title to the Spirit of God. And the title that was given by John the Baptist to to find the Spirit of God was holy. We got some people all around here, we, we want to move the Holy Spirit. They, don't, they think the holy in front of Spirit is his first name and Spirit's his second name. In the Old Testament, we see the Spirit of God hovering over the deep, the Spirit of God coming upon Samson and David and Saul. We see the Spirit of God coming on Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Elijah. But we didn't get, get any title for the Spirit of God in the Old Testament. And I'm a Trinitarian Irishman. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. 
And I baptize that way. And I believe in it. The shamrock represents the Trinity. And Patrick preached it in 300 AD. And we got some running around the place trying to deny it. And it's as true as you can find it anywhere else. Let me tell you something right now, friends. That the Holy Spirit was given a title so that the church today could understand what is of the Spirit of God and what is of the Spirit of flesh. And if it's of the Spirit of God, what's going to be given to you as a desire and a craving? Will it be your flesh? Will it be your sin? Will it be your emotion? Will it be chill bumps? Will it be goosebumps? What will it be? It will be holiness. Holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what nourishes my soul. Holiness, give me as much holiness as is possible because I hate sin. The cross doesn't only show us God's love for you, but the cross shows his hatred of sin. And we see the grace of God here, how it can be tainted. We can see how the spirit of God can be tainted and people use it for their own gain. When the Holy Spirit wants to produce holiness, we're able to tell our flesh no. Look at verse five. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment, likewise, until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. I was preaching at that re funeral recently and the pastor said, I know you're an evangelist, but this is a funeral. You're not going to preach hellfire and brimstone, are you? I said back to him, you're not going to censor the man of God, are you? Are you, are you going to censor the word of God? Are you, are you going to tell God what he can't say? Some of the most censored places on our planet are pulpits. Thank God for men. They're willing to get up here and preach the word whether the room's full or it empties out. See, we don't preach for the glory of man or your applause or your tithe. We're not purchased by you. You don't own us. Our accountability is more than you. Our accountability is to the word of God and the glory of his name. And he talks here and he talks about eternity and our life after death is eternal. We don't just cease to exist. We don't just nourish worms. We don't just eternally rot under the ground. The Pharisees believed in life after death, but the Sadducees did not. The Sadducees never once do we see in Scripture repent or put their trust in Jesus Christ. Not one time. And the Sadducees were a pretty big sect in G Jerusalem at that time, in Israel at that time. They thought the Bible was just good for godly living, good for hygiene, good for work ethic, good for the economy. 
They just thought the Bible was just a roadmap to be the best human you can be, to be a model citizen. And then Jesus came on the scene. Now, let me tell you something about Jesus. He never said that hell was separation from God. He never said that the wages of sin was death. Jesus never said that. And if that's all you want to believe it to be, then you need to go back and read the words of Jesus. Because Jesus never said it like that. They're right in their, in their approach. The Apostle Paul got it right, but he left out something here that Jude is talking about. It's eternal. Eternal. Hell is eternal. And it's not a place where Satan rules. He doesn't have a kingdom down there. It's actually a created place where the angels of God are the wardens for hell. And it's a place for his punishment for eternity. We were never designed to be there. We were never designed to go there. God always wanted us in relationship with him. And he put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden to say to humanity, choose this day whom you will serve. And you can only serve one of two masters. You can either make Jesus Christ your Lord or you serve the devil, but you can't do both. And my friends, I feel that if there was ever a time to be alerted to this truth, it's now. There are pastors committing suicide. There are ministers committing suicide. There are preachers committing suicide. There, there, is, there, is, there are suicides happening like nobody's business. And I believe it's because there's a darkness that's come on us, preachers. And you need to be praying for us. You need to be praying for us. The devil doesn't want to silence Joe Biden. He wants to silence the pulpit. You're all focused on who's going to get elected. What about the man that preaches the word? What we offer is more than just medication to live you live a little bit longer. What we offer is not just the lowering of your taxes. What we offer is not just so you can live a certain type of fleshly dream that you want. What we offer gives you an eternal assurance. An eternal assurance. An eternal assurance. Look at verse 8. In like manner, these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious one. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, I want you to underline that. When the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemy judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you! And let's declare that right now, out of your mouth. The Lord rebuke you. Say it again. The Lord rebuke you. But these blaspheme all that they do not understand and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs 
at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds, swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth, boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. Forevermore. Faith doesn't just come by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You want edification of your faith? Are you tired of being so lazy? Are you tired of not having any discipline? Are you tired of the inconsistencies in your life? Are you tired of fighting the devil in your flesh and he keeps overcoming you? Are you tired of singing songs that there's no condemnation, but you sit in condemnation every day? Are you tired of just listening to messages, wishing that they were true for you, but they go in one ear and out the other? Are you tired of not feeling the presence of God with you? Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you discouraged? There is a way for you to build up your faith. 
There is a way for you to be the man that God's called you to be. There is a way for you to be a woman the way God has called you to be. But it's not going to be by relying on your flesh. It's not going to come by relying on your strength. It's not going to come by relying on your talents, on your works, on the sweat of your brow. It's not going to come by Bible school, conferences, reading other people's books. It's not going to come by someone laying hands. It's going to come when we open ourselves up And we say, Holy Spirit, pull this carcass up out of the grave. Put these bones together. Put sinews of flesh. Make me a military man for the glory of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Breathe your power on me. Come and move in my life. It's not in the public place that you get this. It's not in the place where someone can tap you on the back that you get this. It's in the private place that you get this. It's in the place where no one knows you'll be, just God. And God meets you, baptizes you with fire, baptizes you with holiness, baptizes you strength, strength in the pit. Strength in the lion's den. Strength in the prison cell. He puts a song in you. He puts a song in you. He puts joy in you. He puts patience in you. He puts long suffering in you. And this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do with you. Stand to your feet here today. Every pastor, that's a man of God like yours. Every evangelist, Every evangelist, and I'm not just talking about the evangelist that stands up and talks about himself the whole time. I'm talking about the evangelist preaches the gospel. I'm talking the evangelist equips the church for the preaching of the gospel. I'm talking about every man of God in this room and every woman of God in this room. You're not going to get this just by simple belief, easy belief. The devil believes. The devil believes. This morning, the Lord told me to give an altar call because the Lord said, I'm taking someone in this room from just being a believer to becoming a disciple. And there's a difference between just being a believer and being a disciple. I'm going to show you some differences. One of the differences is a disciple is going to have something like this. Index cards with scriptures on them. Where they're memorizing the word of God and getting the word in them and hiding his word in their soul and spending time memorizing the word of God. A disciple's going to have something like this. A journal that they can write in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, where they're eating on the Word of God and they're eating on the Scripture and they're studying the Scripture to be approved. The preacher is going to have a Bible that looks kind of similar to that. Writing in it. It's going to be worn out. 
that there's going to be something to you that's not just about an experience of emotion, but it's discipline in your life to tell the flesh you're not getting what you want. To tell your flesh, I'm under the lordship of Jesus who manifests not just in word, but in deed. I'm a disciple of Jesus where there's hymns that are coming out of my mouth. There's, there's songs coming out of my mouth. I'm a disciple of Jesus because I see the sinners in my family and in the place that I work the way Jesus does. The way Jesus does. I see the world the way Jesus does. I see the prostitute the way Jesus does. I see the gang members the way Jesus does. I see, I see the single mom the way Jesus does. I see the sick the way Jesus does. I see the broken the way Jesus does. I see the needy the way Jesus does. A disciple's more than just expression of emotion. It's discipline every day in your life. Someone said to me, I don't believe in the altar call. I don't see it in the Bible. No altar calls in the Bible. And all you evangelists, all you do is give altar calls. Altar calls, altar calls, altar calls. Where's the scriptural evidence for that? Let me tell you something. Every time Jesus looked at a disciple or looked at an apostle, you know what he told them after his sharing with them? He gave them an altar call. He gave them an invitation. Drop what you rely on for provision. Drop what you rely on for success. Drop what you rely on for identity. Drop what you re rely on for purpose. Drop what you rely on and take it up and follow me. Leave where you were when you walked into this room and come to Jesus and be a disciple. Be disciplined. Be a man of the word. Be a woman of the word. Seek the face of God. Oh, he's legalistic. This is full of works. This is just dry religion. No. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit works this in you. Not you work this in you. He works this in you. For it is God who works within you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It is God who is at work in you. And this morning, I want you to consciously decide where you're at. And if you have no spiritual disciplines, if you've not evangelized one sinner in the last month, if you don't have a devotional time with God, if God's not speaking to you, maybe your flesh is getting the best of you. Maybe sin has crept in and you can't defeat it. Jesus is saying now, drop it right there at that seat. Step out from that seat. Make a public sign to your husband, your wife, your children, your family, 
I'm going to be held accountable to the decision I'm going to make here. So tomorrow morning, when I sleep in, instead of seeking the face of God, you better tell me, get up out of your bed. Remember what you did Sunday morning. You said that you were going to become a disciple. Let the Holy Ghost, let the Holy Ghost work through your small faith and give He the man of God anointing, the woman of God anointing that's going to save Colorado Springs. That's going to bring Colorado Springs to its knees. And if that's you here today, I want you to stand right here. Come and leave that position you're in. And I want you to come and stand right here today. This is only for honest men. This is only for honest women. You can stay there and be Ananias and Sapphira all you want. But God knows your heart. You can stay there and play games and be lukewarm. And have your hands in your pocket. Can't wait for lunch. You should be weeping now. Tears should be falling from your face because of your hardness of heart. And this might be the last time an evangelist will ever talk to you. You can walk out those doors and you'll never walk back into church again. David said, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God won't always strive. He won't always strive with our flesh. There's disciples coming forward. Can you put your hands for these disciples? Put your hands together for these disciples. Disciples of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus. You left where you were because you want more than what you had. You left where you were because you were tired the way you were living. You left where you were because you're saying, God, I need discipline in my life. I don't want laziness no more. I don't want sloppiness. I don't want it all. I don't want sin. I don't want lust. I don't want filth. Jesus, I'm leaving it out. I'm coming after you. And Jesus says, come unto me, all of ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Holy Spirit of God, we surrender. Lift up your hands across this room. We surrender to you, Holy Spirit. We are building up our most holy faith. We are praying in the Holy Ghost. We are saying, Holy Spirit, make us disciples for this hour. Make us disciplined for this hour. Make us obedient in this hour. We deny our flesh. And we say to the devil and to the demons, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you from this house. The Lord rebuke you from this city. The Lord rebuke you from this state. The Lord rebuke you from this country. The Lord rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus. The Lord rebuke you. We, of our, we are of our Father. Not the devil, we are of our Father, our God. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church.
If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.